Good morning, City Light. Good to see y'all. Everybody doing all right? Yes, I love the joy of the Lord that I can clearly hear. Uh, hey, my name's Glenn. I serve as one of the pastors here. Really glad you're here. We are in the book of James. So if you brought your Bible, James chapter 4 is where we're going to be. James chapter 4. If you're new with us, a warm welcome to you. We make a regular habit of preaching through books of the Bible. And right now, we are in this letter that was written to Messianic Jews, so Christians essentially, um, from Jesus' little brother James. It's an immensely practical book. And by way of introduction, I want to ask you uh, some questions. Here are my questions to you this morning, church. Uh, number one, do you plan on being in this region five to ten years from now? If you're single, uh, do you plan on being married two to three years from now? If you're a newlywed, are you, are you wanting to uh, bring kids into your picture uh, within the next three to five years? Uh, is the house that you're living in or the apartment you're living in right now where you plan to be in five to ten years? Is, is the job that you have right now, is, is that what you want to be your vocation five to ten years from now? Um, how many of you have a, a planner or, or a calendar uh, some of you might be a physical one that you carry around, and it's just as sacred as your Bible. Can I get an amen? Okay, let's just be honest. This is a safe place. It's a safe place, okay? Um, your life is really scheduled and detailed. Why do, I, why do I ask all these questions? Well, what it's not to do is make you think about what you have on your calendar today or tomorrow, okay? Come back to me. Come back to me, okay? Be present here. Um, here's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get us to understand that you know, we, we get to thinking about and, and planning and, um, and preparing for our life and what we kind of think the future of our life is going to look like a lot. This is something that for many of us can kind of dominate our thinking. It can dominate our conversation so much so that, let me just paint a picture. On, on Sunday mornings, you're here or maybe you're at a, a, a small group or um, maybe you have some friends over for dinner and the question is posed to you, how are you doing? And uh, what's the easiest thing to do? It's to point to and evaluate the last thing that was on our schedule <laughs> and to point ahead and talk about what you're expecting for the next thing on your schedule. Um, and our, our substance in our relationships can be the same as somebody who would follow you on Facebook or Instagram if you post about those things. So here's what's at stake in our text today. Um, here, here's the, the kind of burden that, that I'm, I'm carrying for our church. Many of our lives you're going to be able to relate to this. Many of our lives are games of uh, trying to sort of survive the current season or, or um, um, float through it and just make it so that we can get to the, the next thing or the next event or the next trip or the next date on our calendar. And we are um, really, really good at this. And along the way, what can happen is that we become remarkably comfortable with making decisions and charting the course of our life without a single thought of God. We actually become people who are unavailable to the Spirit's leading. And the one thing that Jesus Christ purchased for you and I, which is that God would be present and with us in our life, we do not take advantage of in our planning. Psalm 90, verse 12. Somebody needs to hear this today. Teach us to number our days 
that we may get a heart of wisdom. I've titled this morning's sermon, Give Him Your Plans. Give Him Your Plans. And I want to demonstrate to you in this passage a way of of approaching your planner and your calendar and your vision for your life that honors God and, as a result, really blesses you. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, be our teacher. Your servants are listening. We resolve right now, under your word, to soften our hearts unto repentance and change. Thank you for the new life that you have given us. Please aid us, help us, strengthen us to not walk beneath your best for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's jump into James chapter 4, verse 13. Here's what he says. He says, come now, or um, uh, listen here. Like, this is really important for for you to hear this. You who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. I'm going to stop right there. Give you a little bit of context, okay? This is first century, so a lot of people would have either participated in or been very uh, familiar with traveling merchants. This is a huge economy, like a way to make money, and so um, he's describing in his audience people who would have some sort of good or service that they would sell to people and make money for, and the normal way of doing this was you you would go to a city or a town, and you would camp there, and uh, you would sell. And as soon as people stop buying whatever you're selling or they stop taking you up on your offer and the, and the market dries up, per se, you pack up your things and you identify a new location to go to and you camp there and you're there for another year and, and you make a profit there. And then as soon as that market dries up, you pick up and you go to the next place. This is just the normal mode of operation of this day and age. And in order to do this, they would have to, I mean, just think about this, they'd have to plan right? They'd have to plan about um, what is it that we're going to produce and sell? How am I going to make money and provide for my family or, or my plans? Um, what are we going to do to transport this to the new place we're wanting to go? When, when we're there, uh, where are we going to stay and, and lay our head to rest at night? What are we going to eat? Um, who, who are we going to need to network with, right? So there's, there's all this planning. And, um, I think I, I want to just first say planning is a good thing. Planning is a good thing. It's a wise thing. Um, if you just consider the godly, hardworking um, mom and, and wife of Proverbs 31, uh, you immediately get a picture of this. In, in verse 16, she considers a field and buys it. And with the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. Why does someone plant a vineyard? Planning. She's in it for the long haul. In verse 27, she looks well to the ways of her household, and it says she does not eat the bread of idleness. In other words, she ain't lazy. She keeps herself busy. And so here we have this this beautiful picture of of a woman who is making investments. She's not idle. She's not just, uh, you know, sitting around and kind of just letting go and letting God, right? She's, she's, uh, She's working for a desired future, and she's doing that work today for what she wants tomorrow. Or consider Proverbs 15, 22. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, 
they succeed. So here it's, it's presumed in Scripture. It's assumed that we will make human plans and that we're going to seek good and wise counsel for those plans. It's, it's assumed and, and that we're going to make preparations for the future of our life. And I think some of us, we just actually need to, first of all, before we even move on to verse 2, like, we just need to take this in. Planning is a good thing. It's a godly thing. It's a, it's a wise thing. And I just have a sense that some of us in the room right now are not really doing any planning or preparing at all. Um, there may be certain areas in your life where there's just not been a thought given to, what am I doing today that's going to create a difference there tomorrow? You know, for some of you, um, your participation here in Jesus' church. Um, you're someone who has been bought by the blood of Jesus, and you've bowed your knee, and you've, you've confessed him as Lord and Savior. And, and by doing that, if your faith is real, you have been grafted into a family. You've been made a member of the body of Christ. And Scripture holds back in no way on saying you have a role to fulfill here. Uh, you have a part to play in this. You have been called to contribute to this kingdom outpost here that God has called you to. And so maybe in your mind you're thinking, I- I'll get around to using, maybe even identifying my spiritual gifts. I'll, I'll get around to contributing and, and caring for people in this church. I'll get around to um, engaging in, in discipleship here and, and um, helping impart my faith to others. But you are taking zero steps today to that end you know for some of you your marriage like i'm sure years from now we're going to be happy and unified and there's going to be intimacy that's protected and our friendship's going to be solid and there's still going to be trust there but you are making no deposits today to that end Uh, for some of us with our kids right like i want them to grow and know and love and follow jesus but I really don't have any structure in my house right now for how we're uh, reading, praying, singing, instructing, affirming. And we're just thinking by osmosis that without plans and preparation, uh, without asking God, it's just like things are going to happen. For some of us, it's our finances. And this is where, you know, it's one of those things you write in your sermon and you're like, do I say this out loud or do I, you know, not say this? And I'm going to meddle a little bit here, but a lot of people here at our church, I think, are rich, poor. Um, our mindset is, of course, we're entitled to that house and those cars and those experiences and, and those clothes and, and those meals and those subscriptions. But, you know, behind the scenes, we're actually like covered in student loans and credit card debt and, um, we just don't really have the means to support the ministry of our local church. And you don't have any financial peace in your life. There's no real freedom you feel to be generous. And you're making no plans or provision right now to, to get to that place. So my first question really of, of application from God's word this morning. Um, what right now would God invite you into that helps you step out of what scripture would call foolishness? which is I'm going to reap something down the road that I'm doing nothing to sow for today. And um, what right now would God give you as wisdom to say one thing, two things, that I've, I've, I've wanted to do this for a while, I have just haven't gotten around to it, that now maybe it's time to prioritize it. It's time to plan it. It's time to prepare it. Planning and preparing are not the issue. I want to be very clear. Um, the issue is the heart. 
of our planning. That's, the, that's kind of the tension of the text that James is going to introduce now here uh, in our passage. Uh, it's the prideful heart. It's the heart that God would even call arrogant that, that says, uh, with assurance and self-confidence, I'm going to get me there by this date. I'm going to get us there by this date. I'm going to make this dream for our family a reality by this date. And look at verse 14. Look at James chapter 4, verse 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. You and I don't control tomorrow. Tomorrow. You and I don't control tomorrow. I know you're sitting here. You're like, earlier this week, you assumed you'd be here sitting in this seat this Sunday. You assume you'll be here next Sunday or the next time you're coming to church. You're not guaranteed that. We're not guaranteed anything in this life. We assume that our head is going to hit the pillow to go to bed tonight. That's not guaranteed. And in a world where everything is under our control, like the, we're the most like controlling and, and, and like preferential people that have ever lived on planet Earth, we don't control this. This is one thing that God says, you don't control tomorrow, I do. Um, tomorrow is not certain. We don't even know that we'll have it. And I just want to ask the question, have we let that reality sink in? As I was writing this and, and studying this, um, it was so easy for God to just press on where I was a few years ago. And some of the things that he taught me when I was 29 years old, we had just planted City Light Bennington. We just had our second baby girl, Vivian. And all of a sudden I get sick and I'm diagnosed with cancer. And I had dreams and ambitions and I had an eager excitement for what tomorrow would hold. And I had all these things that were on documents and, and a vision for our church and, and excited to meet new people. And, and it's amazing what God did in those moments to just completely shut that down and sober me. I will never forget how I felt sitting in the doctor's office and hearing that word, cancer. And the more I reflect on it, I want to confess something to you this morning. Yes, absolutely, I immediately was grieving the disease in my body. But do you want to know what I think I probably grieved more? My disrupted plans. The plans that I had for my life. The, 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 the future, the desired future that I had that was disrupted. And that's what I drove home thinking about. And here's some of the things that God taught me along the way. I remember in, in like the year after that, every time I was with extended family, every time that I was with um, friends and they would come over for dinner, all of a sudden moments meant more. And I would just kind of take captive these scenes of people in my life that I loved and I was thankful for. I remember being in Oklahoma with my parents and my siblings. And I found myself, because of a disruption in my life and my plans, to be more present now, not then. Does that make sense? Like right now, not when something else happens. I remember um, sitting in our living room countless times and Kate's doing her thing, our girls are playing slash arguing, and I'm taking inventory of my wife and my precious kids. 
And it's making me think of my parents and how they would have looked at me doing the same things and how I grew up in that home and I have my siblings. And what God used that disruption in my life to produce was gratitude now, not when. And finally, I I just remember realizing that I may not be around for all the years into retirement and and I just, I just want to be a voice to say, like that, again, the wisdom of Scripture is telling us, stop thinking that way. Stop just assuming that you're going to be on that beach, doing that thing, golfing on that course. Like, if you just keep putting in the work right now, you're going to secure that. You are not promised a healthy, long life, nor am I. And so what that does in a person, even with a short battle with cancer, is it makes me more content. Now, not when. (laughs) Content. If you want to ask me what do I think as a pastor, just with a thumb on my congregation here at City Light Bennington, what's the biggest struggle our church has? I think at the root of a lot of our issues in our heart and our conflicts is discontentment. We are people who lack peace. We lack shalom now. We think it's going to come when. And so some of you, you're facing the prospect of death that you weren't facing previously. Some of you, you have lost friends and loved ones that you assumed would be there tomorrow. And whether it was illness or or death or it's the return of Jesus himself that thwarts our plans, what it does is it it kills the way that we boast about tomorrow. It it kills this idea that there's a future that we're going to be so proud of when we get there. Life changes in a moment. It changes in the blink of an eye. And can I just get real? How many more stories? How many more headlines? How many more surprise prayer requests from people in our church? How many more accidents and diagnoses and crises? How many more, how much more of that do we need before we finally realize, oh my goodness, God, I've not surrendered my five-year, 10-year, 20-year dreams to you. Like, I've been living in my kingdom. I know nothing of yours. And I just, I have the courage and the transparency and the authenticity to confess it. I'm about my kingdom, God, and what I want to secure and the things that I want to make. I want my image and my reputation, and I want that thing. And and then after that thing, I want that thing. And we're just chasing and chasing and chasing. Look at verse 14 again, the other half of it. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Our life is like when you step out in the ice-cold Nebraska winter and you breathe out. And that breath goes into the air and it's there for a few seconds and then it's gone. We are going to die. You feel built up? You putting that on your mirror affirmations? We may agree with that sentiment, right? Of course. That's fact. We're going to die. I am concerned that maybe it's not hitting home for some of us, so let me help. Can you participate with me real quick? Show of hands. Who knows their grandfather's name? 
know your grandfather. Okay? Who, keep them up. Keep them up. Keep them up. Who, who knows your great-grandfather's name? Keep your hand up. Mm, mm. Who knows your great-great-grandfather's name? Ho! Wow. You will be forgotten within a few generations, and it will be according to the world as if you didn't live. And that's because life is transient, life is brief, and so it is in verse 15 that James says, instead, 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 you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. Saying, as it is right now, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Another translation renders that, you are boasting about your own pretentious plans. And what does this look like, City Light? It looks like us just operating with tunnel vision, where every decision we're making, every question is asked in light of how it will fulfill our little kingdom and not God's kingdom. It's asking the question of how will it get me that thing that I want or desire, not the thing that I ultimately need. Are you seeing this? Like we're all guilty of this. God calls this in the text evil. It's not fitting for a born again, set apart, filled with the Holy Spirit, God with me, God in me, his heart becoming my heart, his mind becoming my mind, his vision becoming my vision. It's not fitting for that kind of person to make these kinds of boastful and arrogant plans for their life. First John 2.16 says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes, and listen, the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. And look, isn't this so easy? Like, I'm right here with you. We, we can get pulled into this so easily. Presuming the future is like the quickest, most instinctive thing we do. Every morning we wake up and everything in the world right now is selling this to you. Do you realize that? Every single ad, every good, everything is selling this to you. And here's what it looks like. Hey, you, here's how you can plan for a plan that's going to make you a plan that will give you a plan and inspire a plan that will be a successful way to you, for you to fulfill your plan. It's all about your plan. Ah! The issue isn't planning. The issue isn't profit. The issue isn't wealth. The issue, the sin, the evil is when we look down the road and we don't give God a second thought in our decisions. When we function like an atheist and we consult everyone and everything else. It's when we consider tomorrow or we consider next year with no regard for his will. You want to know what God's will is? What's God's will for my life? The Bible answers that question. Let me just give you some examples. According to the word of God, his will is that people would be saved and come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. His will is that you would love him with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, that you would actually love your neighbor as yourself. His will is that you would so live your life unashamed of the good news of Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection so open and transparent that you're vulnerable to attack and opposition from those who are against him. Not hidden and hiding away with a private faith. 
His will is that you would share your faith, that you would make disciples. This is God's will. This is just examples. We don't have to search far and wide for the will of God. It's right in front of us. And here's the thing. At a heart level, our problem is the same as it was in the Garden of Eden. It's that we don't trust God. We don't trust God. Confess it. I don't trust God. So much so that in 2023, on this side of the cross, even after God has has sent his son to forgive us, he sent his son to to redeem us from darkness, to secure our future and our hope. Come on, y'all. Even after he sent his son to to rescue us, to to heal us, to make us a new creation, even after he sent his son to, to give us the right to become his children forever, even after he sealed us with his Holy Spirit, he's imparted his life and he's imparted the very breath of the Holy Spirit to live and dwell within us, even after all of that is ours, even after Jesus has lavished every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms on you and me, even after nothing has been withheld from heaven toward us, we're devastated when our future plans fail because we don't see and perceive our richness. We don't see and perceive all we have in Christ. We don't actually trust the person and work of Jesus. We don't actually know if we believe that the whole story is true and that we're living in it and that Jesus really did come and that he's actually coming again. Not only that, but we refuse to look back and just to stare and take inventory of decades of provision. Never missed a meal, always had a roof over my head. Guess what? My heart's been beating all these years, day after day after day after day. We can't trust the same God who's kept us. Our idols of future and stuff and dreams come crashing down. Our kingdom of one begins to implode and our response looks exactly the same way that it would for someone who has not been born again. Church, I have good news. God doesn't want this kind of devastation this kind of despair to rule us. And so he gives us this wisdom. Proverbs 16, 3. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Commit your work to the Lord. That's step one. Commit it to the Lord. God, I want your will to be my will. I want your heart to be my heart. I want the way you see the world that you created to be the way that I see the world. You've given me this privilege. Let me walk in it, God. Make my will yours. And here's my question, my appeal. Why not plan our tomorrows with the one who holds tomorrow? Why not let the one who is sovereign and in control establish our plans? Why not agree with the wonderful counselor in our planning? Why not give him our plans? And so in closing this morning, um, years ago, my pastor suggested some practical shifts that we could make, um, some ways that this kind of text can be applied in our life in the here and now and kind of where the rubber meets the road. And here's my ask. Would you please, please bear with me. 
would you consider what these changes of mind, which by the way is what repentance is, that's what repentance is, is a change of mind. Would these changes of mind, would these, these ways of repenting, what would they produce in your life? And, and let me ask another question on top of that. What could they produce in a church like City Light Bennington? I don't know if you understand this, but there is immense potential for the kingdom of God sitting in this room right now. And the enemy loves having you fill your planner, fill your calendar, schedule the next thing. What sports are the kids going to be in next year? Is that going to get them the scholarship we want? They're going to be able to go to the college they want? Live present right now. Welcome to the kingdom of God, not your kingdom. Number one, a shift from when to now. I alluded to this earlier. If your life and my life is a mist and a vapor, if it's here today and gone tomorrow, my ask is, could we live like it? Could we just acknowledge that life and time eludes us so fast? It goes by so fast. So I may as well invest in my kids and pray over my family right now. Life and and time goes by so fast. I may as well give my money to eternal things right now. Life goes by so fast. Time goes by. I'm not guaranteed tomorrow. I may as well confess that sin, come clean, walk in freedom, loose that burden, let Jesus have it. Life comes by so fast. Everything moves so quickly. I may as well forgive and kill the bitterness and the hostility and the resentment with that person and love them now. Number two, we shift from intention to action. We can all relate to this so much. You've been thinking about doing it for a long time. You've been thinking about saying it for a long time. It keeps coming up in my mind week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade. When God has given us a new life and he has planted his spirit in us and he's told us, hey, this is how now you live, my child. We can't take refuge in the plea that we have done nothing wrong because his word makes it so clear that sins of omission are just as real and serious as sins of commission. Last verse of our text, verse 17. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Some of us have been intending things for years. And, and you think about it all the time. And my plea to you is to act on it. Move on it. That's what being spirit-led is. It is actually to yield to the control, the leading, the direction of the Holy Spirit. Say the thing that you've been wanting to say. Give the apology you've been wanting to say. Give the money, write the check you've been wanting to do. Trust God. Do the thing that you know, you know, you know, that God's been calling you to do. Um, An illustration to drive this home is that uh, during the development process of a photograph, it sits in uh, developing fluid. 
And during that time, it can, it can shift, it can adjust uh, as much as it wants. But as soon as you take that photo out of the developing fluid and you put it in the stop bath, is what it's called, that image is fixed. Done. Can't be altered, can't be changed. You and I's life right now is in the developing fluid. Death puts us in the stop bath and when we die, we will never again have another chance to share Christ with that coworker or that neighbor who's going to hell. When we die and our image of our life is fixed, those words you've been wanting to say to your spouse and your kids, you'll never get to say. When your picture of your life is done and it's fixed and the image is frozen, the ways that you wanted to be generous and the ways that you wanted to do that differently and the ways that you wanted to live your life for something more than just you and commit to a cause that's so much greater and eternal, like you won't have the opportunity. So move from intention to action. The last one is move from tomorrow to eternity. God, his church, souls, his word, truth, his kingdom are eternal. My house, my Chevy Traverse, the stuff that I order from Amazon, it's not. It's not. Maybe your step today, so simple, is to learn to pause and pray over your decisions and your planning. And it's to change the question from, God, here's my will. Will you bless it? To, Lord, here I am. What is your will? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, right now, I am asking you, please, don't let us leave unchanged. Seal to the heart what you want to teach today. Let it not be stripped or ripped away by the evil one. God, let, let the stress of whatever's waiting for us outside of this sanctuary not rip away what you're trying to speak to us right now. God, you have in mind bigger and better things. Your vision for our life is so much better than ours. You're a way better leader of our life than we could ever be. And God, I'm asking right now if there's a person in this room who's never surrendered their life to you, that they would hear clearly your love for them, that you are God, you created, knit them together in their mother's womb. They've rebelled against you. They've rivaled you. They've sought to be their own God, a self-theist. And Lord, you've provided a way for their sin to be forgiven, to be washed clean, for them to be declared righteous before you and not condemned before you. And you've provided a way to give them, all of you, in their heart, You've provided a way for them to be reconciled to you and have a relationship with you that's ongoing and interactive and never-ending. You have provided a way for this person to have hope and peace and joy in Jesus' name, all because, Jesus, you lived the life we couldn't live. Thank you, thank you, thank you.
all because you died the death that we deserve on that cross. And your shed blood pardons our debt. All because you were not held down by the grave. And you are alive and ruling and reigning and coming again. And so, Lord, right now I pray you would be the God of salvation. And you would give that man, that woman, those people the courage today to bow their knee. Say, I want to be forgiven for my sin. I confess it. Jesus, take my life. I transfer ownership from me to you. I will follow you. I will love you for all my days. And God, you will be so eager to say yes in an answer to that prayer. Help us at City Light Bennington to not be about our brand, our little kingdom, our personal kingdoms. God, give us eyes to see yours. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said,